Ron DeSantis. Is Ron DeSantis might be more fascist than Donald Trump and just a little bit smarter. It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war soon, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it shows just because the civil war is, is over doesn't mean that animosity just goes away, or you automatically are like, yeah, we were wrong, hey, I'm so sorry, yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snap Up, where each week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done as society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snap Book, don't be surprised when we start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway. Back in the good old days, you could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now, that's not the case. So we're going to sit there, we're going to back on these kids, we're going to sit there and say, you're going to owe, you know, thousands of dollars of debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty or thirty thousand dollars they borrow, they might pay two or three hundred thousand dollars in their lifetime with all the competitive interest. And now here are your hackers of the week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Welcome into the Snap Hook. It's another week. It's another edition, another political edition here as the Wednesday show rolls on. Tim Costello joined with the one, the only Scott Barzilla. Scott, how are we doing this week? We're doing great this week, you know, except I think, you know, you and I, when we woke up this morning, we kind of had an idea of what our show was going to be about. Then all of a sudden news hits, and that's, you know, kind of the way the world works, right? So we're going to have to spend uh, our time on both of our shows, the political and the sports show, kind of reacting to the news that everybody got on Tuesday morning. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's out of left field, right, where literally no one had heard any rumblings of this. And uh, I woke up to someone texting me at like 730 in the morning, with a link that the PJ Tour and, and Live Golf are uh, joining forces. You know, they're, they're going to be absorbing the Live Tour, and, you know, there's going to be a huge investment from the Saudi fund. And now the nonprofit portion of this PJ is splitting off into two separate entities, and there will be a for profit version of the PJ, which Jay Monahan has made himself CEO of. Um, all the while, you know, the players knew nothing. They found it on Twitter this morning, just like everybody else. And he sat there and lied for months, if not more than a year, had Roy McIlroy go out and bash people and bash the tour and, and basically be the lightning rod for the tour. Um, also, he could install himself as like the king of golf. And, um, you know, it, it really kind of got me thinking of, it started off, you know, Scott, I said flip-flop, you know, a political flip-flop. But then it was more just who are the best liars? What were the best political lies? Or who are the best people who during their campaign just lied the best, got to office, and didn't do any of the shit they said that they were going to do? And and that's kind of the, the way that we, we decided to take the show today. Yeah, I think, you know, in the school system, and this is where, you know, the job of a teacher is, is really hard because you get like you get a principal is going to sit there saying, we're really going to, you know, 
focus on tardy this tardies this year, or we're really going to focus on attendance or, you know, we're really going to focus on dress code. And so, you know, as a teacher, you know, you get, you go out there, you're gung ho and you're telling the kids, yeah, this is, you know, this is what it's going to be. And then all of a sudden chirping, you know, crickets, tumbleweed blowing through the school, you know, they, they've stopped, you know, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to back you up on that. And so I got a feel for guys like Rory McIlroy, I mean, in particular, because, you know, he's been uh, very vocal against Liv and I don't know what to tell him. I mean, I, you know, we, I got the news this morning, probably almost the same time you did, because, you know, you, you sent out a text and I was like, I was just about to text you. I was like, well, what the hell? Uh, and of course we don't know the details. They, they really haven't given us any details yet. What we know is that whatever litigation uh, each one had against the other has been dropped. So we know that much. And really as of Tuesday evening, you're hearing this on a Wednesday morning, we hope, um, there's really no more news to report other than they've come to some kind of agreement. They did have the player meeting uh, today at four o'clock and a little bit more came out, you know, essentially uh, Monaghan have been working on this with the, the Saudi executives for the last seven months, um, which I think makes this even worse because he was still trying to get players to stay this whole time. Um, and, Apparently the players left feeling okay. Like from what I saw on Twitter, again, I there's a few accounts, some some golf accounts that I feel very uh, confident in in the accuracy that, that they have. Uh, one of which being the Monday qualifier account. He's a former caddy, uh, and he was a former writer for the Fire Pit Collective. So um, they were kind of the guys who really broke this live story because uh, through an interview of, with Phil Mickelson was the Fire Pit Collective. So um, I do trust that source. But so apparently. You know, players left in decent spirits is what I saw. I mean, we'll see. With these elevated events and all that stuff, it was very similar to what the Live Tour was, right? And what's frustrating is I I like the idea of team golf, right? Like, I I played team golf in high school. Like, it's fun. It's it's nice every now and then to have a team event. So um, my whole thing with Live was I just, you know, I didn't like where the money was coming from. But now... I'm forced to just be okay with it as a PGA tour fan, right? Like what are you supposed to do? Just start watching only corn fairy tour events. Maybe I'll just, maybe I'll be an LPGA guy. Like maybe that's what it is. I just only watch the LPGA tour. I don't know, but you know, the, the people who literally quote unquote funded nine 11, um, are now funding the PGA tour. So I don't know what to tell you, Scott, but Jay Monahan is, is going to get mentioned in our sports show and, in a very special segment, you know, at the end of our show, but um, he's definitely influenced the way we're going to take this show, right? The way that we're going to look at, we're getting into campaign season. Uh, you know, we've had so some, some early polling, some primary opportunities. We've had people making speeches and this is something I've been thinking about for a long time and, and, and Monaghan pointed us that direction, but the way that, Political campaigning has changed uh, in this country is is astounding. And it's astounding how quickly it happened. You know, there was a time, Scott, where um, you didn't want to be president. It was it was forced upon you. You know, it was the greater good. The nation needed you, yada, yada, yada. But but now people are are setting themselves to run for president 
15 years down the road by getting this job and that appointment and this election and that one and boom, I'm ready to go. And it's drastically changed. You know, there was a time where you had gentlemen like Williams Jennings Bryant giving 35, 40, 50 minute speeches, you know, on the standard, on the gold standard versus the silver standard, trying to educate the voters. And now we have Donald Trump coming up with stupid nicknames for everybody. So I'm really, really kind of excited today to talk a little bit more about, you know, the United States campaign process, realistically, Scott. Uh, so, man, got it. you gave me a whole laundry list of stuff to, to, to kind of address there. Um, we'll look at we'll look at the uh, nuts and bolts of the PGA Tour and live, I think, at our sports show, because I mean, there, there's there's a whole lot to unpack there. I think in terms of the politics of it, I have to sit, I have to wonder if it was about the fact that uh, guys on the Live Tour had a bunch of early success in the majors this year, you know, with the last major champion being on the Live Tour. And, uh, you know, you have to wonder if that was playing a role. I don't, I have no idea. Uh, so I'm going to set that aside. Now, what I'll say is, is I think in one sense, I think you're right. I think, um, you know, people, the campaigning has changed, but I, I'm going to sit there and say that I don't know that necessarily politics has been pure at any point in history. Uh, with Thomas Jefferson famously, they sang a nursery rhyme to the tune of Yankee Doodle Dandy about his exploits with one of his slaves. So, I mean, these people, I mean, dirty campaigning has been around quite a bit. And I think what, you know, what you're talking about is setting aside William, William Jennings Bryan for a second. Like I could do a stump speech in spring, Texas. I could go down to Galveston and I could do like a whole 180 degree turn and do a whole different stump speech because what are the odds that somebody from Springs actually going to talk to somebody from Galveston? Uh, back in those days, not a whole heck of a lot. See, the difference is, I think we have two differences. I think number one, we have a difference of proportion. I think we have people who are serious people who are talking about issues in a substantive way. And we've always had that, but I think there are fewer of them now than what has been in the past. And I think we have more, what we, I might call, I call them performance artists, uh, but you might call them carnival barkers. You might call them, and, and they're people, and, and they existed back in the day. And, and, and there are people like Trump who is just going to, you know, completely pander to an audience and is going to tell them basically what they want to hear. And the, the difference is, is that we have receipts now because they're being videotaped for the news and we can sit there and play it back said, no, dude, you said this here. And then you said this over here. Uh, and I think we have to differentiate because uh, one of the things that's always bugged me, I guess, particularly about arguing with people who are on the right, is that they are really so sure about things. And I've never been that sure about anything. Because I guess, you know, I'm naturally, you know, I don't know if this is a factor of being a part of the left. I don't know if it's a factor of being educated. I don't know what to, to attest this to, but I have always been open to the fact that my opinion about stuff could be wrong. You know, it's possible. 
And so, you know, I've allowed, you know, the possibility that my opinions on things can change because, you know, in some cases they have dramatically. And so we have to differentiate, you know, when we're talking about a flip-flopper. And this is, I think, one of the, the things and one of the negatives is that we call people flip-floppers who might have genuinely had a change of heart on an issue. Like we talked about George Wallace on a previous uh, episode of this show, uh, ardent racist throughout the 1950s, 60s, and early 70s, gets shot, gets paralyzed, and has a change of heart. Now, would he have had a change of heart whether he had been shot or not? I don't know. It's hard to say. But he had a change of heart. Said I was wrong. So I think we have to give people the room, the space to be able to honestly change their opinions on issues. But what you're talking about is not that. What you're talking about is purely, I'm here. I'm going to tell this, these people this because this is what they want to hear. Now I'm over here and I'm going to tell these people this because that's what they want to hear. Correct. Uh, let's, let's use the last three Democratic presidents as an example. Um, you know, Obama, Clinton, and Joe Biden all ran on health care reform. They all ran on making the healthcare system better, really, especially Clinton and Obama. Well, did they do it? No, they didn't. And in fact, Obama, in an attempt to be bipartisan, which is another one of his promises, he attempted to close the partisan divide in Washington. He gave away the House. He gave away everything just so he can say it was a partisan effort, that everybody agreed on this. And so... It's, it's a combination of underwhelming. Then you've got the blatant liars like H.W. who looked everybody in the eyes of the camera and said, read my lips, no new taxes. And then like two years later, new taxes. He um, had to do now, it. But now, Tim, said it. now, Tim, he did that not. Was more, to be fair, that was more of a Ross Perot voice than H.W. I will give you that. He, he didn't create any new taxes. He just raised the old ones. So he, he told the truth. He did not create any new taxes. He, he just raised the rates on the old ones. Um, I think thanks, with thanks Cheney, Mr. Cheney, with the breakdown there. <laughs> you know the thing is with Clinton and Obama. Clinton tried healthcare. I mean he, and I think that's where a lot of that Hillary hate kind of got started. Actually, you know, putting his wife in charge. Who I understand. It was a bad look back in those days. But then again, Hillary's, you know, she's a lot of things, but dumb is not one of them. Um, and so that, you know, that kind of got started down a wrong road. I, I happen to absolutely 101% agree with you on Obama. I think he tried to make it too, you know, too bipartisan. He should have just rammed it down their throats. They weren't going to vote for it in any, in any shape, way, or form. Um, and then I guess Biden... I mean, I guess we could say he's only two and a half years in, so. Except he's made detrimental cuts to, like, aspects of healthcare care by saying that COVID is over. Uh, they no longer cover any COVID vaccinations at this point, no longer cover any COVID costs of a hospitalization, and, and people are still getting COVID. At some point, the Biden administration just said, let it fucking rip. And you could say what you want, that you were trying to help with health care, but when you let a pandemic rip, I'm sorry, you don't you don't care. Yeah, I, I, I definitely get that. We, you know, it's interesting is my wife's insurance uh, that I'm on. They kind of took we took advantage of, you know, the ending of that. They just say, basically said, we're going to send you out 
one shipment of at-home tests right now, if you order it right now for free, you know, before they close the window on this. So we just load it up. So we have like, I did too. Yeah, yeah. We have like 24 at home tests or something ridiculous like that. So yeah, at least we can find out if we have COVID, you know, that's a positive. Um, I think we have to differentiate between out and out lying and then what we would call intention versus you know, what somebody wants to accomplish versus what somebody does accomplish. And I, and I think there are lots of instances like when I look at, when I look at Bill, Bill Clinton, um, there are some instances where I think he does some things in order to get, you know, uh, through political expediency. And then there's areas where he just flat out sold the farm. And I think he sold us down the river with the crime bill. Uh, because I think that was in the way I think he rationalized it in his own brain is that's probably the way that he got an assault weapons ban through is, Hey, I'm going to give out, um, I'm going to do mandatory minimums. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, hit drug crimes hard. I'm going to sit there and say three strikes and you're out. I'm going to put, you know, I'm going to sit there and say I'm adding policing. And in exchange for that, I'll take the assault weapons. And the assault weapons ban, which, of course, George W. Bush and and that Congress let expire, was effective while it was in place. So, I mean, I guess you could look at that as political expediency. I would sit there and say that I think that's impacted more lives negatively than positively. But maybe that's just my read on it. Maybe that's just your read on it. Maybe we a, a third person could come on this podcast and disagree with us, and that's their right. Um, I mean, that's the start of legitimate, like militarizing the police force. Like that 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 time period is where they started getting tanks and military surplus stuff. That it really maybe a little bit further back, Scott. Actually, it really goes back to uh, L.A. hosting the Olympics uh, and the the way that they built out the L.A. police force and, and the success that they had. Uh, with the Olympics there, they, they kind of took advantage of that and spread that technology across the country and that weaponry across the country. But yeah, it's, it's that time period with the crime bill where they're just funneling money into the police departments to fight gangs, to fight drugs and all this other stuff. And look, if you look now, we have a, a very large portion of our population locked up. Uh, the, the numbers are skewed racially and in ways that they are not representative of our society or of the crimes that they actually commit, right? If you look at the percentage of, of minorities that are locked up for smoking marijuana versus the ones that are Caucasian, that the numbers are way skewed. So we've, we've ushered in a bit of a fascist state and yes, we got the assault weapons ban, but that's, that's the problem that we're facing. Right. And then it goes back to the quality of candidate is there's just too many guys who, who make bad trades, right? If if we were to look at uh, we originally started the show as a as a sports you know crossover, how could we look at how could we look at um, politics and sports similarly? If you had a GM you know who made this many bad trades, who made trade offs this often that sucked, you fire him. You know what happened when Bill O'Brien kept making bad trades in Houston? He got run out of town, and it's just crazy to me how the American government has just kept everybody at bay, right? Like every it's, it's, it's insane to me that there just hasn't been an uprising at any point. It's just, it's because there's so much weaponry in the police 
And they've brainwashed us to love the police. No matter what they do, we should love the respect the police. They put their lives on the line for you. I think the big issue that I have, and, and this is where the analogy I made on, um, so one of the things that, uh, that happened this week and, and, I would love to know, you know what the you know what the whole thinking was behind this, whether it was his decision. But Chuck Todd is out as the moderator of Meet the Press, and Chuck Todd, by a lot of people, was compared to basically Vanna White, where there's no pushback. It's just you get to say what you want to say, you get to say what you want to say, and okay, whatever. And here is, you know, if you want a sports analogy, this is it. The mainstream media, the media in general, their role is to call balls and strikes. But the problem is, is that a lot of them think that their role is to make sure there's as many walks as strikeouts. And that is not the same thing. And now think about this. If you had a pitcher that comes into the game and throws 10 consecutive balls in the dirt. And then, you know, is only able to get one over the plate like at 85 miles an hour and straight. And then comes back and throws another 12 balls in the dirt. What's going to happen to that pitcher? He's getting yanked. You would hope so, right? Or that 85 mile an hour ball got lit up. But if the umpire sits there and decides, you know what? Half of those balls in the dessert, dessert in the dirt really need to be strikes because that would be fair. Because we need as many balls as, as strikes. As the hitter, you're probably looking back at the ump going like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? That's, that's in the dirt. But, you know, the umpire says, well, no, 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 I, hey, he's got to have as many balls as strikes. We got to be balanced. Fair and balanced. That's what that. So that's really the problem is that so many of our politicians who have continually thrown balls in the dirt, that's all they do is throw balls in the dirt or against the backstop. They're allowed to stay in the game because the media, which is supposed to be our umpires, are allowing them to stay in the game basically by propping them up and calling a certain number of those balls in the dirt strikes so that they can stay in the game longer. Okay, uh, Tim is absolutely right. Somebody comes out in a game. Uh, remember, we were playing. Um, I was playing in a softball, you know, game with my wife's company, and this admin comes in. Oh yes, I can pitch. Well, she comes out and she throws sixteen straight balls, slow pitch softball. I mean, she can't even get it to home plate. And finally, somebody else on the team just kind of went to the mound and said, "Give us the ball." We're going to, you know, we're going to do this ourselves. It was the worst experience in playing softball my life, Tim. I was the first baseman and I never touched the ball. Uh, that's rough. That, that a, that's a rough spot. <laughs> that's a rough spot. But see, whole, that's the whole thing is that that's where the media has to come in. The media has to come in and sit there and say, no, dude, you or, or do that, you know, whatever you want to call it, Marjorie Taylor Green. You know, you're throwing pitches in the dirt here. You're, you're going to have to get out of the game. But we don't do that. We don't hold their feet to the fire. Uh, Bill Clinton, you know, years and years later and recently, you know, he admitted the crime bill was a mistake. Okay, that's great now. But they all uh, do that, though. They right, all come yeah. in after. Look at Bush. 
Bush literally ran on, if we don't stop extending our troops all around the world and nation-building missions, then we're going to have a serious problem down the road, and I'm going to prevent that. Then what does he do? He goes fucking nation-building in the Middle East. And then what does he do? Now he's a fucking liberals love him because he gave Michelle Obama Pez, and he said, man, we, we shouldn't have gone to Iraq. I'm sorry we went to Iraq. Like, what the fuck? I'm sorry. He's a... He's, he... The Bush family's terrible. They're, it really, Vietnam was the worst one, Scott. It really was. I mean, you got LBJ send, saying, we are not about to send American boys nine or 10,000 miles away from home to do what Asian boys ought to be doing themselves. And then what does he do? He sends troops into Vietnam. Then here comes Nixon, who's literally running on a secret plan to end the war. What does he do? He had sends more troops than have been there before. Casualties go up. These guys fucking lie about war and profiteering and going to other countries because they don't want you to know what's really happening, which is enriching the companies who benefit from these things. You forgot the worst part of the Richard Nixon experience. And I don't know if you have ever listened to Rachel Maddow's uh, podcast. I have not, no. She does a lot of interesting deep dives like she did one into spear agnew and you listen to spear agnew i mean you're basically he's a fucking crazy piece of well yeah, yeah you're basically listening to trump back in the 60s and 70s you know but basically what richard nixon did richard nixon committed treason even before he was president because what he did is he uh i can't remember this woman's name but she uh this woman who was vietnamese came over to the united states and she actually started working as an intermediary in between Nixon and the leadership in uh, North Vietnam. And so Lyndon Johnson came within an eyelash of making a deal that was going to end the war while he was still president. And he, uh, Richard Nixon, had this woman kind of relay the message, basically like, you know, you scratch your back, you know, y'all scratch your back, you scratch mine, and basically saying, don't accept this deal and then I'll take care of you down the line. And of course, you know, the rest is history. The Vietnam war goes on. So imagine the Vietnam war ending in 1968 or early 1969. How many American lives would we have saved? How many Vietnamese lives would we have saved? Um, But, you know, Richard Nixon out and out committed treason. And we're not even talking about the stuff he did while being president. I mean, this is before he even takes the oath of office. And then you can have the same exact thing be said about Ronald Reagan, who who literally held had yeah. Iran hold on to yep. hostages just a little bit longer, so it didn't look like Jimmy Carter was the one who got him released. It looked like Ronald Reagan was. Yep, yep, yep. I yep. mean, to me, one of the biggest misses in American society is Jimmy Carter, because he was was really one of the He's one of the best human beings who's been president. I think he's probably one of the only quality human. You can look at maybe Obama. I don't know. But Jimmy Carter's the real deal, right? The guy's still out there building houses for humanity in in his old age. But he was forward thinking. He put solar panels on the White House. He wanted to invest in alternative energy forms. He he wanted to do things to make the country better. Um, He was done in by, you know, a a gas um, embargo that, this is tough shit, you know. It really sucks that it happened to him, but I I would have liked to have seen an America where Jimmy Carter got two terms because he, he, he the only quote unquote he lied he told was 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 about gas and and not putting in the gas tax, but the gas tax would have been great if you look at where we are now today. Well, yeah, it's stagflation. 
which is a whole economics term that we learned, you know, back then and in those days, what's, what is the biggest mystery to me long-term in politics is how a man like Ronald Reagan, who's a divorcee, could convince particularly Southern voters that that's no, that's I, when abortion became an issue. I, this is when beca- abortion became a, a, a right side issue was this election here because you couldn't use religion against Jimmy Carter because he was a good religious well, man. You're right. But how, how Christians, Southern Christians decided that Ronald Reagan is the guy to back. Abortion. As the it was all yeah, about yeah. abortion. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's crazy when you think about it because, you know, he was literally a Sunday school teacher. And, you know, and of course, you mentioned Habitat for Humanity. I mean, that's years later down the road. Uh, but, you know, he, he's responsible for, you know, the peace accords in the Middle East, you know, wins a Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of unfortunate events kind of hit Carter at the same time. Uh, and I think the stagflation was number one. I think that, you know, hi, that hostage crisis is number two. And, you know, you don't. You know, it's, it's, those are things that you don't really recover from as a president. You know, Ford wasn't, you know, outside of pardoning Nixon, which I think historically it looked okay at the time, but I think as time has gone on, it's looked worse and worse and worse given the amount of criminal criminality we have in our politics. Um, but back then, you know, I think a lot of people are like, okay, yeah, I could buy that. But he was just, you know, he was saddled with a lot of, you know, bad economics you know, as well. Uh, and it was a fairly decent man by, you know, most accounts. But Nixon? He's like, no, no, Ford. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, 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 Ford. Um, he was a golfer. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah. I just, I think the decision, I think the two biggest things that have, I think, wrecked our country just as a whole. I think, number one, the decision not to go after Nixon. I think historically, because if you had gone after Nixon, I think, number one, I mean, Nixon goes to jail. Okay, great. But really what you're doing is you're sitting there, you're showing future generation of politicians particularly the ones who are going to participate in something we like to call Iran-Contra, that if you do this and you get caught, I mean, you're you're getting drilled. Yeah, but, I don't even but, think you should have gone to death. I mean, what's the penalty for treason? Death? Yeah. So, I mean, you're, I mean you're, but now, now we've gone to this road of, well, we shouldn't criminalize politics. And so now we've gone down this road of some people honestly making the argument that, well, we shouldn't shouldn't indict Trump now because he's a candidate for president. And I was like, who gives a shit? Did he commit the law? You know, did he break the law or not? And I think the election of Ronald Reagan, and I was actually watching a video from this uh, one woman who's like, a, um, I think she's an attorney and she was just going through basically all the bad things that have happened since Reagan was president and that Reagan ushered in. Um, I mean, he... I mean, union membership is at an all-time low in this country now versus, you know, 1981 when Reagan takes over. He, you know, he basically busts uh, the air traffic controllers. I mean, he just absolutely cuts them off at the knees. 
Yeah, well, uh, sure, he's a longtime it, union member himself, too. Screen Actors Guild member, oh, Ronald but, fucking oh, Reagan. She mentioned this story, though. What was interesting is that when he was president of the Screen Actors Guild, he wrote in an uh, exception that allowed, and I can't remember the name of the group, but basically the group was that they could do television programming without having to go through the Screen Actors Guild. And why did he you know, send in this one? Well, they only paid him $150,000 a year in 1950s money to do a series of commercials. I like believe you're talking about GE would be the well, company. G, well, GE was the company, but it wasn't. It was a group that was on behalf of GE that was doing all the you know you know how like you had advertising companies that do all this kind of stuff, and I can't remember their name. They had, in fact, they had to break up, so they don't even exist anymore in the name that they were going by back then. So he was doing GE, but no, there was like a the, the company that is responsible for, you know, hiring and doing the ad spots for GE. Um, they were able to bypass the Screen Actors Guild because Reagan, as the president of the Screen Actors Guild, ran through an exception for this company. And then all of a sudden he's coming out as anti-union. Eh, no shit. Uh, I wonder how that works out. But the whole thing is, think about the number of things that have happened since Reagan, you know, as president, um, where we start the whole trickle-down thing. We start, I mean, our, our national debt explodes under Reagan. Uh, our deficit explodes, which our, our deficit actually explodes under most Republican presses, which is kind of interesting since they're supposed to be the deficit hawks. But I guess that's a different topic for the, a different day. The religious right completely takes form under Ronald Reagan. Like it, Jerry Falwell and those people just continue to own the Republican Party at this point because of you know, the, the access that Ronald Reagan gave them. Uh, you mentioned Iran-Contra, which also in, in leads to, if you want to really go down the line with it, more immigration Coming into America, you have, you have allowed far-right dictators to take over many countries in South and Central America, causing people to flee and rush the borders because they can't live in the conditions that we personally have created in their home countries. And then we can sit here and come about how many immigrants we have, even though it's our own destructive international policy that's created this. It all dates back to Ronald Reagan's bullshit of tampering down in Nicaragua. Oh, but my favorite is he is not responsible for starting the war on drugs. I mean, that's Richard Nixon. However, he is responsible for greatly expanding it. And so this is where, you know, Nancy Reagan, see now when I was in the 1980s was when I was in elementary. The blowjob queen of Hollywood, Nancy Reagan? The uh, That was when I was in elementary and uh, during their presidency, I was in, middle school for most of it. So I, I go into high school in 1989. So when he's leaving president, I'm becoming a freshman in high school. So that's, you know, so I can remember, especially junior high where we had assemblies on, on the regular of people telling us to say no to drugs. Uh, Mattress Mac came in and talked to us about, you know, saying no to drugs. and, and Mattress the- Mac? Mattress, the mattress Mac. The mattress Mac. What happened was is that one of his drivers was uh, was drunk, and so he got charged, and you know he got some community service. So let's go to Clear Lake Intermediate. Let's go talk to the kids about 
saying no to drugs. That's back in 19, I think, 87, 88-ish, somewhere around there. So Mattress Max has been around a while. But, so now this is where we get crack. This is where we get cocaine. This is where we get the differences between crack and cocaine and how we adjudicate people who are caught using one or the other. It's the same damn drug, just a different form. People using crack, they go to prison. People using cocaine, they go to you know uh, deferred uh, adjudication, rehab, rehab, program. Yeah, and the people who are using cocaine, mostly white. People using crack, mostly black. Probably a coincidence. This is also when, as a part of his whole idea of we're going to raise money to support the Contras, when we don't have any missiles to sell to Iran, who just kept some of our citizens captive at the beginning of his presidency. We're going to sell crack to the street gangs of Los Angeles. And we're going to use the money that they're going to pay us in order to pay off the Contras. And then we're going to turn around and we're going to let Nancy film a commercial about Just Say No. Wow, the unmitigated gall in that. But anyway, I think we're digressing here, but uh, I'll let you uh, move us down the line. Yeah, so... I mean, we, we've touched on Ronald Reagan, we've touched on HW, we've touched on W, we've touched on Barack. And now I think it's time to touch on, you know, the modern liar, Mr. Donald J. Trump. Um, Trump might be the, the most proliferous liar that's ever been um, president of the United States. I don't know if I want to call him the best liar because some of his lies are just so outrageously bad that we know he's bullshitting. But my favorite promise he made was that he was going to build a wall and have Mexico pay for it. And not only did he not finish building the wall, not only did he not have Mexico pay for it, the guy had people start to go fund me and then get arrested for improperly using that money because you, you can't go fund me a fucking border wall. And it's just, I mean, that's my favorite one. It's because it just shows the ineptitude of, Donald Trump, because he doesn't understand how any of this works, and he will just say literally anything to get elected. And then, and that was the change, right? Because I think Donald Trump is the result of Ronald Reagan, right? You don't, you don't get a guy like Donald Trump as president if Reagan didn't work. You were able to take this television TV star, put him up there, give him a script, and let it roll. And I think a lot of them thought that's what Trump would do, but he is a heel, right? In the terms of wrestling, I've been watching some wrestling documentaries lately. He's a heel. He's not going to fucking be your baby face like Ronald Reagan was and play nicely and say, oh, are you gay? Then why are you worried about AIDS? Oh, like, no, that's Ronald Reagan. Donald Trump will call you AIDS face, gay boy, whatever it is. Like, that's different. And so, you know, he has completely changed the dynamic. There was a time where People worshipped Ronald Reagan as Republican, the greatest president of all time. Well, now those same people have turned it up to another level on Trump. And we're in and, – and again, it's the I- irony of it all, Scott. These fear-loving Christians uh, are worshipping other idols <laughs> at the end of the day uh, with the way that they support Donald Trump. Uh, where to get started on that? 
Well, I think that the thing is with Donald Trump, I think there's one thing that, that he has been successful at. And the whole idea is, well, the thing he's successful at over a long period of time is convincing people that he was a smart businessman. Uh, this guy who somehow managed to lose money with a casino. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if, have you ever been to Harrah's in New Orleans? I didn't go to the one in maybe no, I didn't go to the one in New Orleans. I've been to a Harrow's, I believe, but I don't think it was the New Orleans one. Yeah, the New Orleans one is still open. It's still open. And the whole thing is that, you know, it's absolutely the worst location I can think of for a casino. Yeah, I remember we stayed right across the street from it, but I was like twenty and I wasn't able to go in there yet. Well, and, and, and I've been in there, and, you know, it's it's a casino. But the whole thing is that there's so many other things to do in New Orleans that I don't want to go to a casino. And here's the point. It's still open because you can't lose money running a casino. You have to try. So the the other thing that, that I think Trump has figured out, and I, and I don't know if this is you know something that he knows or just instinctively is you know figured out. He lies so often, you can't fact check it all. You you just can't, especially in real time. I mean, that's that's kind of what happened with the CNN thing, and I know they they tailed around the head of CNN. Uh, they they wrote a, a lengthy article. It's like a fifteen thousand words. Uh, this guy was able to tail him out, uh, tail him around for months. The the head of CNN, and he was basically just goading. Trump, hey, go out there, have fun. Actually told this in the in backstage. And so when you're a reporter and you're facing somebody like Trump, there is no possible way that you can push back against every one of his lies. You can't. It's a tsunami. I mean, you're, there's, stuff, there's just stuff you're going to have to go. And, and you're going to have to let go. And And, and I don't know if you ever participated in high school debate or ever saw any kind of official debate or anything like that. Um, I was an assistant coach uh, for a couple of years. And the reason I was an assistant coach is because I had my, my bus driver's license and the head coach didn't. And so she just wanted somebody who could drive her you know, team around. It's like, okay, you can make me the assistant, pay me, go, yeah, go for it. But, Part of that bargain was I had to judge some actual debates whenever they would go to debate tournaments. So one of the things they, they taught you is that if one side makes an assertion and you let it go, you're officially saying we agree with that assertion. And that's where you know, I don't know that Trump really understands it on that level. I doubt that he does. But somebody has coached him well that if you tell a thousand lies and I only challenge you on 900 of them, those other hundred, they become truth because nobody's fought back against it. And that's where I think Trump has taken, he's taken lying to a new art form. And that it's kind of like the same thing when he says something offensive. Well, he's going to say something offensive later on today. So how long can I focus on this one offensive comment when Tomorrow, there's going to be something new that's probably going to be worse. So eventually, you're letting whole swaths of things go. 
And when you look back on it, it's just like, it's an avalanche. And you can't possibly fight your way against it. That's why I don't understand these media outlets that want to have them on. It's like, well, yeah, we'll push back against his lies. You can't. It's impossible. Yeah, because the moment... It, realistically, if you had a legitimately great journalist who pushed back on Trump, he's walking out of that interview calling bullshit and everybody's going to hate you anyway. There's no there's no winning in allowing this man um, network airtime. There really isn't. And at the end of the day, all they're doing is propping up another disaster and they're doing it for money. But then as we as we look have looked through every one of these presidential campaigns that had lies, they all did it for money. This, this system that we live in runs on the green dollar at the end of the day. Trump got elected, and he was popular because of companies supporting him. His, his policies of, quote-unquote, you know, cutting taxes for the very, very wealthy, people like that who are very, very wealthy. And as we discussed in our last political episode, they'll gladly give up half of their wealth so they can keep the other half. And so those are the things that we have to be conscious of. And I think, you know, as we've, we've talked about, what Trump's lies are in the debate. I don't know if, you know, to me, Scott, I don't even know why we still do a debate anymore because there was a time where you had two people up there and it was like jousting or sparring. Right. And you would go back and forth and make points and counterpoints. And like, it's, it's awful to watch. If I'm, if I'm someone who's running against Trump, why would I even agree to a debate? Like what's, what does that get me? Because all he's going to do is sit there and name call. He's not going to address any issues. He's going to talk over me the whole time. And everyone's going to be like, oh, Trump owned your ass. When in actuality, like, I just didn't even get a chance to say my points because Trump's such a loudmouth dumb idiot. So, like, why do you even, like, I, the, the modern debate is dead. So why are we still doing it? It's, you know, it literally is, it's fucking wrestling. It, Donald Trump is, is Ric Flair, right? Like, that's where we're at at this point is you've got, Ric Flair up there running for president in a suit instead of an adult diaper. Yeah. Um, I remember one, I remember attending a debate locally. Um, so do you remember a guy named Tom DeLay? Yes, I do. <laughs> so, you know, you had Tom DeLay on stage and you had the Democratic guy that running against him. And it was somebody that nobody knew. And then you had the Libertarian candidate, which the Libertarian candidate, I mean, he was just like a clown because he sat there, you know, this is back in the, uh, I think it was about the early aughts. And he was trying to convince us that there's actually less air pollution in Houston now than there was back in 1980. And you're like, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and so, yeah, it, it was just a, a hideous experience, you know, uh, and, and I, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I don't know what we're doing, you know, with the basis. It's just a boxing match, really. Um, each side is going to claim victory. Nobody's really going to learn anything that they, you know, they didn't already know, which is kind of, you know, and I know the SNL did a sketch years ago. Uh, making fun of the undecided voter um, and basically how stupid they are because they, like, they had you know somebody come in. So how many years do they serve in a presidential term? Is it one? Is it two? Is it three? And then this other person come on. So when is election day? Is it like in December? 
October? When, when, when do I actually have to vote? And that's kind of the whole point, is that when you have a Donald Trump running against anybody, whether it's Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden or whatever, how can you walk into that center saying, I'm undecided. I'm not sure. Let me watch this debate. Maybe I'll learn something. Really? Come on. I'm with you, Scott. Absolutely with you. It's the the debate is dead, right? We're not going to get people are so dug into their positions now. It's like you said, I I think I'm pretty willing to go in with an open mind and, and hear two people speak and you know, come to an opinion. But now I also know that like I, I need to go look up this person's voting record. I need to go look up what this guy has done before I just come out and listen to what he has to say, right? Because as we've shown here throughout this episode, these guys will lie. And they do lie a lot. All of them do. And the sad part is in America, we kind of have to, there's a great South Park episode about it where you have to choose between a douche and a turd sandwich, right? Like, and, and Stan is, is like not willing to vote. And, and literally like PETA and Kanye and everybody's hunting him down, trying to make him vote. And they explain the importance of voting to him, even though you have to choose between a douche and a turd sandwich. And do you remember this? Do you remember the debate in that episode? Vaguely, but I just I just remember watching it in, like recently again, and it was, oh, just, it, was like, just, it was classic because you have like if you asked him that question, he wouldn't answer it. He would just keep yammering around, and he would you know talk about nothing, and he would just wait for the time to go up. <laughs> like, but that's where we're at, right? Like again, South Park is just one of the smartest shows on television. They they really do hit the head on the the nail on the head frequently, but that's where we're at, you know. I never wanted Joe Biden. You know, I never wanted Donald Trump. But you give me those two, who am I going to vote for? The one that's not trying to kill everybody. Okay, now we get to do that shit again because we can't come up with a good quality candidate because the Republicans can't look at Donald Trump and be like, yo, bro, you blew it. You're done. Get out of here. We need fresh blood. But no, they're all beholden to this guy. And I guarantee you they're all sitting there holding their breath, hoping that uh, this legal proceedings goes one way or that he does not end up running. Cause I don't think they want to deal with him anymore. I really don't. I think they got what they wanted out of Trump, which was fascism. And now they've got younger, smarter, um, better, well, better spoken fascists who can bring the cause farther. I, 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 I don't want to see a debate. I don't want to see a Trump Biden debate. Cause we all know what it's going to look like. We all know what that's going to look like. So why are we going to do it? Why are we going to see that shit again? What was hilarious is they were doing, uh, and I, you know, I think we're getting closer to that, you know, point of the week, or our favorite spot of the week, or for us and hopefully the listeners. But I was watching, I think it was John Oliver, and he was doing a special on. It was either John Oliver or Seth Meyers. I can't. Uh, but he was. We were watching the Fox News people. The Fox News. You had. Uh, God, who was that? I, I can't remember his name, but one of the doofuses that does the morning show. And they're sitting there in a diner. Is it Ducey? Ye- no, it was the other guy. Um, I feel like that's like the only morning guy I know. Cause I yeah. don't even... Well, because now you have Will Kane on there. He used to do sports, and now Will Kane is, uh, has joined Fox. I, I don't but, watch. Uh, I, I could, I, I, uh, Tucker was about it that I could have told you, but he's but, not there. Yeah, so. Uh, so he's in this diner, and he they are desperately because Fox wants to move on from Trump, 
And so he's desperately in this diner trying to find a DeSantis fan. And all these people want to vote for Trump. And they're just like, ugh. They're rooting for a massive coronary event. That's what they're rooting for. And I'm sorry, but if you're going on 80 years old and you're living on a KFC and McDonald's diet, you haven't had a massive coronary yet. It's just not going to happen. I mean, I guess, you know, I kind of envy Trump on that level. You know, I wish I could eat like he does and not, you know, just completely, you know, die of a massive heart attack. Um, but anyways, I gotta think he smells terrible a majority of the time, right? Like, well, I gotta think, think he's sweating grease. Like he's got to sweat on like well, eat with his diet. We know he wears a diaper because he he shits himself. And like, I just can't imagine him smelling anything worse than. It, here's the perfect story for it. I'll give you what I think it is. My grandfather, my mom, my mom's side uh, had some bipolar issues, and by some, I mean he was extremely bipolar. But we somehow, I can't remember the reasonings, we let him, we set him on a plane to fly to see his brother and sister in Florida. And then, you know, we were there at the airport to get him. And this was, we had like special permission because it was after 9-11. So we had to go through the security to be at the gate to be able to get him. And oh, like we noticed everybody coming off the plane, like, like holding their nose and like, oh, thank God, like clean air kind of thing. And we're like, we're like that's weird. And then like, here comes my grandfather. Who uh, had a little Trumpian accident on the plane, and uh, you know he had ruined that experience for about two hundred people. So you know that's kind of in my mind what Donald Trump smells like is he's probably a combination of like chicken grease sweat, chicken grease sweat, and just like loose stool in his diaper. Well, think about all he talks about with the toilets, and it's like how many times he has to flush the toilet. And I'm sitting here thinking. I've never had to do more than a double flush. And why are we bragging about that? I mean, ever. I remember, I don't know about you, you, you didn't have camera phones in high school. In my life, I've taken a picture of one dump that I was honestly impressed with. But like, I was 14. We, we, you stop that after a certain point. Like, what 80-year-old man is like, I take big poops. <laughs> like, it's fucking ridiculous. Well, uh, now you're thinking, making me think of another South Park episode. Oh, the one where they measure shits yeah. and cakes. Yeah. yeah, and then they're like, Bono Bon was just one giant piece of shit. Yeah, Randy was eating all PF Changs like every day. PF Changs wants chicken mostly. <laughs> He's sitting there watering it with a squirt bottle. Lord, okay, okay. I will say that is the episode that got me hooked to South Park. Like I had never seen it. I saw that episode and I'm like, you know what? I might like this show. Yeah. I don't know that that's, that's not my bat, my, my top, you know, it's probably not even, even my top 10 episodes. It's, but it's, it's got funny moments. I mean, of course you had the, uh, you know, the one with the TSA, but TSA didn't mean what you thought it meant. That's to check your asshole. (laughs) But uh, yeah. So anyway, all right, I think we're going to need to move on to, you know, that, that part of the week that we all know and love. I'm going to let Tim lead off here, but I, I definitely have a, a scumbag in mind that's related to our conversation. Uh, see, I don't know if this is a, a scumbag or a dumb tweet of the week that I have here, so we'll call it a, a, a dumb, a scumbag tweet or whatever. 
in Centerville this this weekend, there was a a group of we'll call them Nazis who um, you know gathered to express their disgust over a small group of of Pride organizers that were rallying. And as these Nazis do, they wear the full face mask that covers their face, which Marjorie Taylor Greene didn't like. She said, I want an investigation into who these people are. This group, just like the Patriot Front group that marches in D.C., looks like a Fed operation trying to create racism, white supremacy, racial division, where none exists. Take your masks off, cowards. I got to think if Marjorie gets what she wants, again, like half her constituents are part of these groups. Like people who support Marjorie Taylor Greene are absolutely in these fucking groups. And she's going to lose a lot of her donations once she pushes this investigation through. But we know she's not. We know it's fucking Twitter bullshit that she's trying to act like she actually cares. But in actuality, she's probably the keynote speaker at their annual convention where everybody gets handed out. You know, really unseasoned food because these people look like they have no spice in their life whatsoever. I finally was able to figure out the difference between Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert. Um, Hair color? That's part of it. Uh, and I'm sure that's, you know, chemical. I don't think that's, you know, what, what God gave her. But I'll just say this. Uh, I think she says things that are just extreme and are stupid, but on a different level. So here is where Lord Bobert was, and this was this is not a dumb tweet. This is why I kind of I, I think I think I want to change the name of our segment to Profiles and Idiocy because I think that that probably expands it more. But I'm watching this video, and I'm watching her, and they're talking about the fact that. Donald Trump, they want Donald Trump to be president, but because he lives in Florida, they said the Constitution, this Lord Boebert's actually saying this, the Constitution bars him from nominating somebody from Florida as his vice presidential running mate. And I, I, Tim, my, my brain just started to hurt. It just started to hurt really bad. And Janet looked at me and she's like, is that true? And I was like, No. No, it's not true. And then she and then she went on. She she just went on with this thing. She says, Well maybe he could like move his residency to New Jersey so that he could act ask Matt Gates to be his running mate because if he stays in Florida, Matt Gates can't be his running mate. And I was like, Oh God. Oh, and God. and oh, also God. what world is Matt fucking Gates gonna be Donald Trump's running mate? Like I, that I, is I'm not never even, Well, I'm not even I'm, I'm not even addressing that adds into the stupidity, right? That she's talking it, about well maybe she could utilize Matt Gates. For what? Finding young girls in the town that they visit? Like, what are these useful for that? <laughs> well, but the whole thing was like, just, you know, that the, you can't have two people from the same state. I'm like, oh, God. Right, because Virginia didn't throw a party for but, themselves at one but, point in the early part of the history of America when they had a Virginia vice and president. And my head just started hurting. It's like, I got to go down and stairs and get the tile and all. I just, I can't deal with that. Okay, so... Tim started talking about the fact that, you know, we have choices between turd sandwich and, and, uh, and a giant douche. And, and granted. So who has thrown their hat into the Democratic wing? It's Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Why has he done that? Well, because they want to, you know, the, the, the conservatives, they want him as a candidate because they want him to somehow weaken Joe Biden. 
So what do we know RFK Jr. for? Well, RFK Jr. is probably the most famous anti-vaxxer on the Democratic side of the ledger. But is he really a Democrat? I guess. No. Kind of a name only. He's about as Democratic as Joe Manchin. Uh, or Kirsten Sinema, who's not even a Democrat anymore. I mean, she's officially gone independent. But I hate this. And, 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 you know, when Andrew Yang did this, when he started the, what was it, the Forward Party, where it's like... Yeah, he's a big... You want to talk about liars? Andrew Yang's another one of the bigger disappointments. Well, the whole thing with him is like, okay, I get it. The Democratic Party is weak. We all get it. I mean, we're looking at the party going like, okay, if you're not doing Joe Biden, who are you going? And we're kind of looking at the landscapes and you're going, uh... The amount of people uh, that think Pete Bootyeg is the answer is is fucking astonishing. The people who think that if Pete is the guy, I want to slap the shit out of those people. Well, but in their defense, who else are you going? I mean, it, it's... It, I think Bernie's time has come and gone, unfortunately. Because uh, I love what Bernie has to say. There's got to be. There's got to be a good senator. Like there's got to be someone in be there. Some, yeah, there's, there's got to be Warnock. Warnock. Just, Warnock would be an interesting choice. Yeah, I, I just don't. I yeah. And so, give me Cory Bush. Give me Cory. No, uh, Cory Booker. Cory Booker. Cory Booker. Or the, the yeah. lady who does the organizing in Atlanta. I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Oh yeah, board. yeah, yeah, yeah. She ran for governor, and yeah, give me, give probably me a, law, and probably should have. See, she ought to be the head of the Democratic Party, right? Give me a street fighter, though. So she, like, that's what I want. A I want, I want somebody like her to be in charge of organizing this thing. That'd be because, fine because that's what I, that's what you know we need. But see, but Robert F. Kennedy doesn't have anything. Stacey Abrams, to, yes, by the way, Robert F. Kennedy doesn't have anything to offer. And he just wants, you know, he knows he doesn't. He knows he's, he's here to offer a split ticket. He's here to try and take votes away from Joe Biden to help out the right. Because he and he he's, has to be smart enough to know that. But you know, he's going to throw his hat into the ring because it gives him his fifteen minutes of fame. And I guess he could get out as an anti-vax message to sit there and say, "Hey, conservatives, we have some liberals over here who are anti-vax," but he's not really liberal. Not in any real sense. Uh, I mean, if you're looking at people who are going to take on, yeah, I, I think I've always liked Cory Booker. I don't know if he's a winner on that level, but I've always, when he's spoken, I've always liked him. Uh, he, he appeared on John Stewart's program talking about race and, you know, really had a lot of really good things to say. Um, but yeah, you know, the problem is, is that the people who are stars, who are future stars, are just not quite there yet. Like uh, somebody who I love, who I think is of age, because we know AOC is not, Katie Porter. I, I mean, I like her. She, she uses the whiteboard well. Uh, but she just doesn't have quite the profile yet to be successful. But this is where. But my point is, is that the Democratic Party has issues. But right now is not the time 
to, to throw in a third party. Right now is the time that we have got, because if we throw in a third party and we split the ticket and the Republicans get it, our democracy might not exist anymore. I mean, we might be on that level. And so, I mean, right now you have to sit there and say, it is time for us to all vote blue just so we could get rid of this current crop of Republicans, maybe push, you know, Trump down the lane, just push DeSantis down the lane. And maybe the Republican Party will finally figure out that, hey, you know, maybe this whole election denierism and fascism is not really the direction our party wants to go. Or, hey, maybe when people start asking for, you know, common sense gun reforms, maybe we ought to actually think about doing that or, you know, hey, you know, maybe banning books and, you know, doing this anti-woke, whatever that is, maybe that's just stupid. But unfortunately, they're going to need to flush out all these people in the 2024 cycle and then hopefully they'll get it. But if you split the Democratic ticket, and they win. That might be lights out for democracy. I don't disagree with you, but I will say that that was the message in 2020. That was the message in we've got to get Trump out. Everybody vote blue. Biden will turn everything around. And I mean, I'm, I'm being completely honest. Biden has not done a good job in, in any stretch of imagination. Their communication from the White House is terrible. Um, they have just backstabbed a large majority of the base that got Biden in there, right? The, the way that they handled student loan forgiveness was absolutely awful. Uh, that's that's still just all gone away, and instead they just put a pause and they they did a little bit here, a little bit there. It's it's there's an inability just to go get what you want in the Democratic Party, and I don't think you're going to have a split ticket. I think you're going to have a lot of no shows. I think this is going to be a a very low attendance election, like and that 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 does scare me as well because that's how Trump won the first time it was that was a really lowly attended election, and and it allowed Trump electoral victory. So. We'll see what happens, Scott. I, I am very worried about that, but um, it, it does seem like it, it might almost be inevitable at this time. I think what you have to do is you have to sit there and say, okay, no third parties. Whatever Andrew Yang is doing, okay, no. What you can do is let's enter the Democratic primary. Let's have a strong you know, primary and we'll just pledge to support whoever is the winner of that primary, you know, whoever comes out. And so that's where, if you're a strong candidate, if you think you're strong, you know, challenge Joe Biden, sit there and say, Hey, these are the problems that we've seen. You know, this is what I would do differently. Uh, and, and I would love, I think at some point, and I don't think like I mentioned Katie Porter, but there are some people who I think really have an opportunity in 2028 if they handle their political careers, you know, in such a way. Um, I think AOC, because of age in 2025, so she can't run this time. Yeah, I don't know if she could make it as a national candidate. Maybe she can't. I don't know. Um, But I think we need some, definitely, I I agree with you on the messaging. We got to do a better job of messaging. So, I, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to a robust primary process i just think whoever comes out on top we have to put all of our weight behind yeah it's it's a tough it's a tough predicament to be in um 
because I truly believe we, we need more political parties in this country because I don't believe the Democratic Party has America's best interests at heart. So I think um, they love to fundraise. I think the Democratic Party loves to fundraise. And then they don't really enact the legislation that they fundraise off of. So uh, I completely understand what you're saying here with, with how important this election is. And I do agree with you on that. And, and in this sense, yeah, we probably all need to vote not Trump. It's really It's really not even a vote for biden it's more of a vote for not trump and but that's got to stop though scott we've got to stop having the not this person vote you know oh well he's better than that one and i don't know how to get back to that i don't know how to get back to somebody that legitimately could sit there and like you said give two different speeches in the same day one about you know something that's more relevant to this part of the country one that's more relevant to the sea bearing galveston coast right that doesn't exist anymore. It really doesn't. You, you stay on message, you get the same speech 10 times a day, and you're reading it off a teleprompter. There's no character. There's no There's no personal touch, right? Like so Trump, Trump has all these supporters, but he doesn't, he doesn't have a personal connection with them. He just says the, the racist stuff that they wish they could say out loud. Biden has no personal connection with people. Like he, he looks terrible. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Like he... I don't understand how they think he can make another four years in office. That that man will die in office. Yeah, I don't think so either. I well, you know what I kind of liken it to, and I don't know if you ever watched. And and uh, we've started rewatching. Uh, my daughter and my wife really like to watch Project Runway. And N- never seen an episode of that one, Scott. Um, and and I enjoy watching it with them. But the problem that you end up having is that it's kind of like American Idol. If you look at probably your best American idols were for the early years, because once you've gone through three or four cycles, who do you got left? Whoever's trying out are people that weren't good enough to make it through the first few cycles. So your champions start to look worse and worse and worse and worse. And that's kind of the same things happening to our candidates. I think the best example of that television wise is dancing with the stars yeah right look look how low the quality of quote-unquote star has gone down in the re- i mean you had Vinny from the jersey shore as one of your stars and i'll yeah. be honest i'll be honest i still watch jersey shore family vacation that is my guilty privilege but he's not a star i mean uh, come on no and, and so i don't know did you do you see the other uh candidates for idiocy this week honestly i i didn't um it's been busy man i've been i've been staying busy i'm i just don't get on twitter very much anymore i really don't it's um that's a cesspool it's a cesspool of disgustingness for the most part on there my twitter feed is filled with right-wing nonsense even though i don't follow any of these fucking people well that's so that's kind of why i wanted to i was kind of you know campaigning to change it to profiles and idiocy because that might free us from having you know to look at tweets you know maybe we could find other sources of idiocy which i'm sure uh, like i saw a picture that it was on twitter but i saw it on facebook of kimberly gafoyle and oh my god my sweet god She's about my age. She's a few years older than me. And she looked like an absolute circus clown. 
you know, like the extreme lipstick, you know, over that. And I was making this point, and, and I think people got lost in that, is that uh, I'm actually having my 30th high school reunion this summer. I've already bought my ticket. And part of what I love about that is that you, I love to watch and look at the road not traveled, you know, particularly with, I'll say, women. And because in high school, that was not the road not traveled. That was the road that literally there was a roadblock on it. <laughs> the road was not open yet. That was not, well, not even open yet. It was not open to me. You know, there's a traffic cop center saying, Turned like, around the border. Yeah. Well, and then there's the, and, and I, I've never seen this before, but I'm at the light, Clinic uh, uh, City Boulevard and El Camino Real. And it is blinking red and green at the same time. It's that's, like, that's dangerous. I'm like, what the hell do you want me to do? <laughs> it's like, I guess move forward with caution. I, I don't know, but yeah, there were a lot. Of, there were lots of roads that were not open to me in high school, but they are things where I can look at it now and I can say, I am so much happier with the road I'm on now. Thank you for not being available to me back in high school. And so you kind of get that schadenfreude where you get to see how people uh, swelled or suddenly lost a lot of hair or, you know, whatever, you know, their lives didn't go as, you know, successfully as they thought it would. That's more of like maybe the 10 or the 15, 20 year reunion kind. Now I'm expecting more of like, okay, we're just going to settle in each other's company for an evening. But that's kind of what I'm, you know, when I look at profiles and idiocy, I mean, that's kind of, you know, what you're looking at is you're looking like the pictures of Kimberly uh, Gafoyle and you're just like, oh God, I, I've, you know, I'm so sorry. So I will say some of the details of the uh, suit that, and it, they call themselves Tweeple, uh, the Twitter employees put out against uh, Elon Musk, man. You want to talk about idiocy? This guy signed in his contract like numerous times. He was going to pay this, these people their severage. And it was just like, no, I'm not paying you that. You guys worked all this time for free. Um, just Elon is just a constant example of idiocracy. You know, he really has. He's, he's that guy who surrounds himself with nothing but yes men. And no one ever tells Elon he has a bad idea. And no one ever shows Elon an alternate opinion that could go against his with good facts. And and this is the result of that. You've got a guy who's so insulated from the real world. Um, everything he does at this point is idiocracy. Like I, I can't stand people who worship Elon Musk. I really can't. I don't. I can't stand anyone who worships any billionaire. But Elon is is tip top for me because he is one of the biggest problems in America right now. Yeah, I the the only really person who came out looking really good that whole thing is the guy who sold twitter to him for multi-billion dollars which i don't know i don't think i would have sold it to him for one you know i would have bought you know if i had that kind of money but hey somebody's willing to give me multi multi-billion dollars for that come on let's go all right tim i think we've got we kind of run into our own kind of roadblock here at least to the end of this week where can the people find you? Still for now, uh, Tim underscore Costello 10 on Twitter. Again, it's a it's a ticking time bomb until I'm 
just fed up and blow out of there. But you can still find me there. You can still find the, the show on the Snaphook podcast page on Facebook. And you can find Gallo Soccer uh, playing our next game uh, June 24th in Mansfield. So if you're in the DFW area, come on out, mention the show, and uh, we'll be sure to take good care of you. Yeah, you have I'm hearing interesting stories about that uh, team. So the, stay tuned for the sports side because I'm sure we'll hear a few of those stories on that show. Uh, yeah. you, you can always find me at Sbarzilla uh, on the Twitter until I, like Tim, will probably delete my account at some point. Uh, I do write for Battle Red Blog about the Houston Texans and Juanita Jeans Beauty Salon under an assumed name, which I won't mention here. Well, we appreciate everybody who joined us this week as we continue to try and work it from right to left on the Snaphook podcast. We will see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Snaphook and making Scott and I a part of your week. I wanted to recognize that our intro song is called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Grohl, and this outro music is Good Vibe by Twisterium. We appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the Snaphook movement. We look forward to seeing you next week on the Snaphook. Snaphook.